This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. More news coming out of Tesla. The tech company is shutting down production for several days to fix issues with its assembly line for its Model 3 sedan. It has been dealing with bottlenecks, but still hopes to be able to reach its goal of building 6,000 vehicles per week by the end of June. Meanwhile, more executives are leaving the company or taking a leave of absence. And recently there was another accident involving a Tesla vehicle. So to make what the state of Tesla is right now, we call on John Paul McDuffie, management professor here at the Wharton School. He's also director of the program on vehicle and mobility innovation at Wharton's Mac Institute for Innovation Management. John Paul, boy, I'm telling you, there is a long list of stuff to talk about with Tesla today. Not hard to fill a half hour, that's for sure. Well, and again, let's start with uh, with the, the bottlenecks and the, and the temporary shutdown of production. They have a goal of reaching X amount of vehicles coming up in the very near future. If they are still working on problems on the assembly line, on the production line, realistically, that number is not going to even come close to being real at this point, correct? I mean, I think they've reached about 2,000 vehicles a week. They're promising 6,000 in what you just quoted by June, which is just a couple months away. I mean, the claims for Model 3 production have been wildly overstated, overambitious from the start. I think Musk was predicting 200,000 by the end of 2017, and they did 2,700. So we're talking orders of magnitude of being off. Um, You know, we've seen a lot of delays out of Tesla in the past. The Model 3 is critical both because it's the mass market vehicle and because Musk and analysts were linking profitability to reaching certain production levels by a certain point in time. So everybody is watching this incredibly closely and it's very concrete data, like how many cars did they make last last week. So I doubt they'll make it, but I also think that um, signs of progress will be positively accepted because right. Musk has pulled things off in the past after delays. And, and obviously for the people that put the $1,000 deposit down on the Model 3, they have an expectation of a, a, what should be a relatively good car, but at a much more affordable price. So I would think for $1,000, a lot of the people that put that money down are willing to hang in there and wait a little bit longer, Correct. Well, I would think so, particularly given how much enthusiasm and loyalty there's been to Tesla in general. So we know there are competing products like the Chevy Bolt, and somebody really, really impatient to get their electric vehicle uh, could certainly take their name off the list. But, um, you know, Musk was asked in that infamous analyst call about how many people are staying on the list, and that's one of the questions he refused to answer. So it's it's a touchy uh, subject. But, of course, new people could be signing up as well. Another touchy subject is potentially the the executives that have been leaving or taking leaves, leaves of absence at this point. And I, I would think you're talking about some very important positions in terms of the technology and getting these cars uh, you know, up and running and that assembly line issue. That can't be very good for him right now. Yeah, it's it's actually a pretty long list if you look back over the past couple of years, and the last couple are very noteworthy. One is a guy who was in charge of safety and the autopilot system, and he went to Waymo. 
the Google's autonomous car maker. Uh, this guy, Doug Field, has been in charge of production. He's taking a, a leave. Uh, it sounds like to have some time to recover from what I'm sure has been a very stressful period. There's, their CFO went to Lyft. Yeah. Anyway, it's a, it's a pretty striking um, level of departures. Now, I did find a list that went back to 2016 and listed VP and above people who left uh, Tesla. Yeah. And there's about six to eight per year throughout that period. So we weren't you know, observing every one of those departures and saying there's big trouble here. Right. But we can imagine that Musk is a tough uh, boss for a variety of reasons, yeah. and uh, a lot of people have decided to go elsewhere. Well, and that w- I wanted to take a guess is whether or not there was something within the culture of Tesla that may be driving this. And if it's six to eight executives a year, VP and above, that's still a high number. But again, you know, is it directly tied to Elon Musk? Is it directly tied to what they see the product is? You know, can they reach these goals? I guess there's still a lot of questions as to why some of these moves are occurring. Yeah, and of course, it's it's hard to know. But to have someone in charge of autopilot leave right after there's a couple of autopilot-related accidents, yeah. to have the guy in charge of production taking a six-week leave at the most critical moment um, when Model 3 production is the issue certainly suggests it's high stresses causing departures or other uh, departures from executive ranks. You mentioned about, obviously, the autopilot issue. Another autopilot, seemingly autopilot accident in Utah, car going about 60 miles an hour, did not disengage from the autopilot, hits the back of a parked truck. That, again, adds to the issues where we have seen a variety of of things, either involving uh, Tesla or the technology uh, in terms of autonomous as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, after one of these accidents, the authorities, as well as Tesla, usually won't say for a while whether the autopilot was on because they need to check things out. But the driver of the vehicle, I found an article, she said, yeah, it was on. Yeah. And uh, I guess she broke an ankle. Elon Musk has already tweeted about this saying, hey, why is it front page news when someone breaks an ankle? There's 40,000 deaths from human-driven cars in the U.S. every year. Um, and, you know, he's been very consistent on this. Uh, if autopilot is safer than human-driven technology, we ought to support it yeah. and not criticize every single um, death. But, you know, it, it's uh, it was a fixed object that wasn't moving that they hit, in this case, a fire truck. The Apple engineer who died in California hit a highway barrier that the system didn't pick up. I mean, these seem like pretty basic things that the system ought to be able to pick up, and it's clearly not. I mean, and and these are all things that seemingly the engineers that are putting these systems together and they're factoring all the different things that could happen out there, they have to be factoring these things in. Highway barriers, you know, the center divider, uh, the the road signs that are out there, they have to be things that, that they have factored in already into this process, correct? Yeah, and, and, you know, as you get into some of the technical issues, there are debates about what's the right configuration. Um, LiDAR is a technology that's been – was at the heart of the lawsuit yeah. between Uber and, and Waymo. That's a laser-based radar. Uh, Tesla uh, rather, you know, dramatically has said in Musk – we don't need LIDAR. LIDAR is too expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be destabilizing, and we can train radar, regular old-fashioned old radar, which is more of a commodity product, and our cameras and our software, most importantly, to do the full job. 
Um, now, the Uber accident that happened in Arizona had just one LiDAR unit on the roof. Waymo has six LiDAR units, including on the sides. And Waymo's CEO, John Krafchick, got, uh, came out with a public statement very soon after that Arizona accident and said, our technology would have prevented this accident, which I thought right. was a fairly you know, bold move to say, hey, not all self-driving technologies are the same. Right. Some are safer. Ours is better. Go with us. So then what do you think is the state of Tesla right now? Well, I imagine there's a lot of uh, stress and chaos around the Model 3. There is perhaps an unexpected uh, level of tension and being pressed by analysts. They've had a, a lot of honeymoon periods when analysts have rated them very highly, been unusually patient with uh, various ups and downs, and now that seems to be changing. Um, you know, Tesla has survived some challenges before. I don't know that the world has been watching them quite as closely as now. There's a massive amount of investors betting against them with shorts. And, you know, I think Tesla has had the potential to be a little bit of one of those polarizing topics in the current uh, political culture. Yeah. So, you know, they're green, they're electric vehicles, they benefit from some uh, government subsidies. And so, you know, on some of the traditional uh, political divides, you get rather strong, either un un unabashed support or unabashed criticism. And that's kind of – now there's all these articles that can, you know, test the loyalists and embolden the skeptics. So what do you think then is the opinion on Tesla by the traditional automakers, by the Fords, by the GMs, uh, even the, the international automakers that are, that are selling vehicles here in the U.S.? Do they consider them, in your opinion, a, a rival at this point or are they so far – kind of behind the where the levels where these other automakers are that they don't really even factor them in at this point. I mean, I think Tesla was underestimated for a long time by the traditional automakers, not surprisingly, you know, very small company making luxury products for a niche that doesn't seem popular yet, electric vehicles. Uh, and I think they were frankly, you know, outraged when – Tesla began to have valuations equal to GM or Ford um, when, uh, you know, BMW would get asked questions about, you know, being the manufacturer for an Apple car or something. They're outraged at the idea that these tech companies can come in and suddenly uh, be successful in something they've been doing for 100 years. I think what has happened at the luxury end, um, you can understand pretty much every Tesla luxury sale as a vehicle, you know, as a sale taken away from BMW or Mercedes. I sure. think that's pretty yeah. much true all over the world. It's And they, my understanding is they've had the electric vehicle technologies kind of teed up, but haven't been willing to commit to them until recently. So right. Tesla's success is one of the big things pushing that. Dieselgate is another thing pushing them. And the fact that China is backing electric with all kinds of government support yeah. and uh, already the German luxury cars and Tesla sell extremely well at the high end of the China market. All that means I think they take Tesla seriously and it's prompting competition. So I think it's not really the first headline you see here, but the space that Tesla helped create is 
considerably more crowded with competitors now. And if we think of the long term past these problems that Tesla may may or may not survive, um, having a lot of competitors when they haven't really is going to be a new part of their reality. Because it is interesting when you think about the auto industry. I mean, not that you would say that any one of them have a monopoly, but in terms of you know, trying to be a new company and kind of break into this into this area, it's very hard with all the different components that you really have to factor in, not only putting the vehicles together, but the safety components, especially here in the United States that you have to uh, to, to factor in, and just being able to reach the consumer with, with a look that is actually something that they would want to buy to begin with. Oh, yeah. I mean, there, there hasn't been a new car company in the U.S., since the company that was the predecessor of Jeep, and that was back in the 30s. So um, a lot of other car companies have gone out of business. You've had consolidation. You've had new companies arise from Japan, from Korea. Some may arise from China to become world brands. But uh, we haven't seen anything like Tesla. Um, You know, some people say the fact that Tesla has done this in a relatively short period of time means that in today's world, you can build a new auto company from scratch if you have a couple billion dollars in capital and patient yeah. investors. Um, another way to look at it is it's really hard. And what Tesla's accomplished so far is very impressive. And maybe they've hit the hardest thing of all, which yeah. is you know high volume mass production with a global supply chain. Um, you know, if, if they somehow meet some threshold of Model 3 production that makes everybody think, okay, they're, they're, they're kind of solving the problem. Yeah. This is a vehicle that is you know, very heavy, has a number of design flaws that will add cost for some time. Yeah. And can they price it at a margin? I mean, you, know, you can produce a car with super low productivity with quality problems, and maybe for a while it looks triumphant because you're meeting your production targets, but eventually that stuff's going to catch up with you. If you, you don't have the margin, you don't keep the quality reputation. So, you know, beyond this immediate crisis of manufacturing, there's a long road ahead of future challenges for Tesla. Well, that number of 6,000 a month, uh, and I would imagine if you're, you know, your Ford or GM or one of those, 6,000 a month of a particular brand is probably not a a big thing. Uh, But for a company like Tesla that is trying to factor in all these new elements and be able to you know, be able to market to the mass public with a vehicle that's, you know, going to be what, $33,000, $34,000, I guess was the ballpark number they were talking about. Uh, that's an incredible challenge for them to be able to do that, even when you have the battery component being worked on like Tesla and, and the other pieces of, of Elon Musk's companies that, that he already has involved already. Yeah. So, you know, the Gigafactory, which makes the batteries, was one bottleneck. Uh, that appears to be getting solved. I think the – I mean for me as a personal interest given that I've studied manufacturing a lot, the the car factory and the assembly area in particular, Elon Musk really tried to do something which the world's automakers have concluded is a bad idea, which is try to automate yeah. almost all the labor out of it. Yeah. And you know he cloaks that in a, a noble goal of not having humans working in such difficult in, uh, situations. Yeah. But um, it certainly speaks of a belief in a technological solution. Every automaker in the world, I would say, starting in the 80s, tried to heavily automate final assembly. Mm -hmm. By the way, weld, which is part of the car plant and paint, are already very heavily automated. Yeah. 
Tesla's had some trouble in those areas too. But the reason all these companies invested heavily and then gave it up is the capital equipment is expensive. Mm-hmm. The maintenance on it is very expensive and very demanding. And these are robots. They're supposed to be highly flexible. They can make any model. It turned out you could fine-tune them really carefully for one model, and then as soon as you tried to put a model through it, you'd have to start all over again. So pretty much everybody gave that up. They've gone to something that's much more a mix of humans and robots, where the humans do – the robots are really cheap. They do really simple tasks like lift a heavy part and hold it in place. The human does the bolting, the torquing, the quality check – the making sure the right part's going on the right model, all the stuff that actually humans can do much better than robots. Which that means that, that that's a good sign for the auto industry moving forward is the fact that, you know, as we get deeper and deeper into AI and robotics, that this will be an industry that is still going to require the human component to a large extent moving forward because of some of the things you just laid out. Yep. Robots can do certain things, but many of the things that you need for final assembly, they will not be able to do. Yeah. I mean, these jobs may be, you know, for, to, to the public eye, unskilled jobs, but they, in fact, involve a mix of lots of tasks and a lot of skills. And if you add in the Toyota approach of having workers give suggestions for how to improve quality, how to mm-hmm. improve safety, how to improve productivity – then you, the fact that you've got a, a human observing a repetitive process that's a little boring by itself, but looking for ways to improve it, is a, a way to you know get ongoing improvements over time. There's a Japanese saying, "Giving wisdom to the machine," which is about the great ideas that can come from humans observing technology and figuring out how to make it better. Uh, the argument is you can have capital equipment appreciate in value rather than depreciate through improvements that come from that kind of human problem solving. You're not going to have that happen if you automate the humans off the floor. So given that this is the most labor-intensive part of uh, a big chunk of manufacturing um, is, I think, a a lesson for a lot of other parts of the economy that the mix of human and robots is, uh, is could be a way to go. We're joined by John Paul McDuffie at the Wharton School. We're talking about Tesla and the auto industry uh, right now. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. And again, if you're somebody that has uh, put one of those deposits down on a Model 3, let us know what you're thinking right now. Give us your thoughts. Eight uh, 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. Now, obviously, we're talking about uh, a company that uh, has had its issues from financial perspective in general. Yep. Is Do you have a concern about the financial stability of Tesla because of some of the things that Elon Musk has gone through in the last few years? Yeah. Uh, one reason everybody's rushing the Model 3 is that Musk was predicting actually overall profitability for the company once they reached a certain level. He has said they will not need to go to the capital markets this year. And increasingly, the financial community is skeptical about that. Um, The one of the biggest cheerleaders among the auto analysts, a guy named Adam Jonas from Morgan Stanley, just put out a report today or yesterday with a substantial downgrade um, in his predicted stock price for Tesla. Uh, It's striking mostly because he has been such a big fan, um, and he's saying the Model 3 problems he thinks are more structural. They're not going to go away. They're in the design. They're in the supply chain. It's not just a matter of solving something in the factory. Um, You know, if, if 
Tesla had to go to the capital markets and was not able to find the capital it wanted, you mm-hmm. know, at any kind of reasonable price, that would be a big sign of of danger. Um, however, I did just read that uh, George Soros, uh, who has made a big investment in Solar City, another yep. Musk-related company, a few years back when it was in trouble, has just agreed to invest thirty-five million in convertible bonds. Convertible bonds are great for Tesla because they don't have to dilute their equity at all. Yeah. Um, one-year bonds. So you know, if Musk can find other sources of capital that are patient, then he won't have to face a possibly uh, symbolically damaging trip to the capital markets that's yeah. not successful. So you know, it's this uh, when you've got a um, you know, a story stock where people's uh, loyalty is built partly by the, the the narrative and the the attachment to the brand, and not just the financials. And you've got a charismatic leader who has an ability to reach out in lots of ways to yeah. do unusual things. Um, it's it's pretty hard to hard to predict. So. But again, he's not going to be able to do that. Musk, I'm referring to, he's not going to be able to do that by himself with executives leaving yeah, seemingly yeah, yeah. every couple of weeks right now. And this term of, of flattening out the management uh, structure at, at Tesla, I would think, has to be a little worrisome for some people. Yeah. If you're losing bodies, and especially key bodies, people right. that are, you know, the technology people, the decision making people, then you're really you're you're hitting some walls that that you probably don't often see in in the traditional auto industry. Yeah, that to me is the most worrisome sign. Uh, I mean, Tesla already, from anything I've been able to see, had a fairly flat organizational structure. If you're just talking about the number of levels yeah. of management, um, and most of what. Musk has said as a concrete example of what's going to happen in this reorganization is we're going to start getting rid of contractors. So we've had contractors to contractors to contractors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, yes, that's a problem and I can fully understand it from things I've heard about the Model 3. That's actually quite different from just your own core management structure. Most of the time there's been a change, uh, executive leaves, responsibilities held by the executive transfer to Musk. Mm-hmm. That's a bad sign yeah. when you have one leader trying to be superhero and take care <laughs> of everything. Um, and I would hope – I mean he's accomplished enough across his different companies that I gather that he must have some good ability to delegate uh, responsibility and also to inspire and motivate but this uh, exodus is definitely worrisome. I would call it the biggest worry from my point of view. Great having you here today. Thanks. As always. My pleasure. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.